How he got here. So how did Crocker Harris go from an accomplished scholar of classics who wrote verse translations for his own pleasure, saw teaching as his vocation, and looked forward to a successful career, to the lifeless, soulless shell of a man he is now? He was clearly disillusioned to discover what an uphill battle it would be to communicate any of his own enthusiasm for the classics to his students. They, instead, are only eager to get their remove from the lower fifth so they can be done with the dreary chore of construing dead languages and specialize in the more modern, more tangible, more immediately gratifying subject of science. Crocker Harris's air of dignity, conscientiousness, and old-world manners is off-putting to his students, who prefer the jocular bonhomie of Frank Hunter. The boys resent his strict enforcement of the rules— roll their eyes at his awkward and incomprehensible Latin jokes, imitate his stilted mannerisms, and call him, derisively, the croc. His dreams of a house and a headmastership were not in the cards. Crocker Harris's unpopularity and passive personality have led him to be repeatedly taken advantage of or overlooked. He does the thankless and tangled task of creating the school timetable, while the headmaster signs his name to the finished product. Crocker Harris is denied a pension, while other, less eligible, but more beloved teachers are granted it. He is asked to give his speech at the prize-giving ceremony first, because the boys will be sure to make an enthusiastic demonstration of their gratitude to the cricket player, and the headmaster doesn't want Crocker Harris's speech to come as an anticlimax. Though Crocker Harris is unresponsive to all these slights, he is not unaware of them. When Taplow makes a disgusted grimace over the task of translating, thinking he is out of Crocker Harris's vision, we see that nothing escapes him when he says, And now, if you would be so kind, you will do the line again, without the facial contortion which you just found necessary to accompany it. While Frobisher beats around the bush, Crocker Harris repeatedly hastens him to the point— always anticipating exactly what disappointing request or insulting declaration he has come to make. We have the sense that he is neither oblivious to the treatment nor immune to its emotional effects. He merely represses his reaction, perhaps to the point of doing damage to his own heart. And then there's Millie. We've already inventoried many of her cruelties, but they continue. As we've discussed before, she is having an affair, flagrantly, under her husband's own roof. When she speaks to Crocker Harris directly, she is sharp-tongued and derisive. When he says the timetable might interest her, she says, without even the thinnest veil of civility, you know it bores me to death. If she is in polite company, she resorts to passive-aggressive expressions of hostility. I don't think her comment to Mrs. Gilbert that men have no souls was as innocuous and playful as it seemed on the surface. The scene, at least so far, that disgusted me the most was the one that follows the headmaster's visit, when she wheels on her husband, demands, well, do we get it? And when he says the pension was denied, responds, and what did you say? Just sat there and made a joke in Latin, I suppose. I wouldn't have just sat there twiddling my thumbs and taking it from that old phony of a headmaster. But then, of course, I'm not a man. Every year when I teach this play, I prompt the students to finish the thought, which is clearly, 
and neither are you. Crocker Harris has found himself in a world moved by values that are alien to his own. It is a world where physical attractiveness and a knack for making yourself liked mean more than the wisdom you might have to impart. It's a world where the physical prowess of sports and the practical knowledge of science are valued more highly than the scholarship in an abstract field like classics. It's a world where one who is dignified and faithful and respectful of the rules is perceived as stodgy, uptight, and unlikable. It is no wonder that in this world his soul has withered. But there is one more force in his decline that we have to consider— his inclination, in the face of these forces, to give up. He bears Millie's cruelty without complaint. He makes of himself a doormat for people to walk over. He lets his students laugh at him. He tells Gilbert that in the beginning, he found that a single success can atone and more than atone for all the failures in the world. But that was in the early years and he gave up the fight even for the single successes. I feel terribly sorry for Crocker Harris. Of course, as an evangelist for classic literature myself, in a world where I see it dying, I identify with his plight. But I also want to shake him and say, don't let it go. And to remind him, to paraphrase novelist Ayn Rand, that if he fights for the future, he can live in it today.